If you have your Bible here with you this evening, go ahead and take out your Bibles and go over into the Gospel of Mark to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and I want to start reading with verse number 1. Mark 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts with wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things we find a lot of in the Bible is in the Bible, we find a lot of prophets in the Bible, we find prophets all over the place. They are all, are all over the place, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And for those of you who may be unaware of what a prophet is, let me suggest the prophet is simply a spokesperson for God. A prophet is someone who receives direct revelation from God. And he then communicates that revelation to people on God's behalf. That is essentially what a prophet is. And if I were to ask you this evening, who is your favorite prophet to study in the Bible? Who would you say? Who would you say? Would you say Elijah? Or Elisha? Or Isaiah? Or Daniel? Or Ezekiel? Would you say Malachi or Micah or Habakkuk or Joel or Zephaniah or even the prophet Jeremiah? I mean, all of those were certainly great prophets of God who are worthy of our consideration and study. But now let me ask you this. Now let me ask you about John. Now let me ask you about John the Baptist. Now let me ask you about the person that Mark introduces us to here in Mark chapter 1. You see, when you think of some of the great prophets that are found in the Bible, do you by any chance think of John? Do you by any chance think of John the Baptist? I ask you that question because the Bible makes it very clear that John was, was indeed a great prophet. He was indeed a great messenger of God. In fact, as the gospel opens up, Mark describes him as a great voice that was crying in the wilderness. Mark describes him as one who announced the arrival of Jesus the Messiah 
and he prepared people to receive him. That's how the gospel describes John the Baptist. And this evening in this study, I want to talk with you about him for a little bit. This evening, I want us to study his story. I want us to understand that as we read through our New Testament this year as a congregation, we're not really going to be able to get the most out of our readings if we don't really understand and appreciate John's work. John had a very important work in the service of God. In fact, the first thing we need to understand about John is John is a very unique prophet because his life and his work were both foretold in the Old Testament. They were both foretold in the Old Testament. In fact, I think we see that very clearly in these verses we just read here in Mark chapter 1. Going back to Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, notice how Mark begins his gospel by talking about the work or the ministry of John the Baptist. Mark begins his account of the gospel by telling us that John's work or, or John's ministry was actually foretold in the Old Testament. Specifically, it was foretold by the prophets Isaiah and Malachi. Isaiah and Malachi foretold the work of John. And for the purpose of this study, I just want to focus on one of those prophets. And the one I want to focus on is Isaiah. Go in your Bible to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. In Isaiah, the 40th chapter, and in verse number three, Isaiah wrote these words. 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus, in Isaiah 14, verse 3, Isaiah says, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let me ask you a question. Does this verse by any chance look familiar to you? Does this verse by any chance look familiar to you? I want to suggest to you that it absolutely should. It should look very familiar to you. In fact, we just read this verse quoted for us in the gospel of Mark. Mark quotes this verse in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 3. This verse is quoted as the gospel opens up. In fact, this verse right here that Mark quotes is actually referred to commonly as a dual fulfillment prophecy. Isaiah 14 verse 3 is a dual fulfillment prophecy. Someone says, well, what is a dual fulfillment prophecy? Well, my friend, a dual fulfillment prophecy is a prophecy when the words of a prophet are fulfilled in two different ways. It is when a prophet makes a prophecy and it has both an immediate application and it also has a messianic application. It has an immediate application and it also has a messianic application. Now, in the case of the immediate application of this verse, we, we need to understand that when Isaiah first penned these words, he was actually in the immediate context referring to the restoration of Israel following the Babylonian captivity. 
Here in the immediate context, Isaiah is saying that even though the people of Israel were going to go into 70 years of Babylonian captivity because of their sins, there was going to come a day in which God was going to restore them. There was going to come a day in which God was going to clear the way for them. There was going to come a day in which God was going to make the path straight for them so that they could return to Jerusalem. Here in the immediate context of this verse, Isaiah is referring to the restoration of Israel following the Babylonian captivity, but not only does this verse have a more immediate application, we need to also understand that it also has a messianic application. It also has a messianic aspect to it. We know that because, again, Mark quotes this verse in Mark chapter 1 and verse 3. This verse is also quoted in the Gospel of Mark, and when Mark quotes the verse, he's not quoting it in reference to Israel being restored from Babylonian captivity. Instead, when Mark quotes this verse, he is using it or quoting it to refer to John. He, he is also saying that, that John is, is a fulfillment of this verse. 700 years in advance, Isaiah also foretold the work of John. John would also be one who called in the wilderness. John would also clear the way for the Lord. John would also make smooth the path for the Messiah because he would be a forerunner for the Messiah. You see, Isaiah 40 and verse 3 has both an immediate application to it. It originally was intended to refer to the restoration of Israel following the Babylonian captivity, but it also had a messianic application to it. It also is quoted in the New Testament in reference to the work of John. And so John is a very unique person in human history because his work was foretold hundreds of years in advance, but not only is he a unique person because his work was foretold by the prophets, the second reason why he is an extraordinary person is because he had an extraordinary birth. He had an extraordinary birth. In fact, the Gospel of Luke begins by talking about the extraordinary birth of John. In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, there, the gospel writer Luke introduces us to a man named Zacharias. Zacharias was from the tribe of Levi, and he was a priest, and he was also married to a woman named Elizabeth, but unfortunately, they didn't have any children. Unfortunately, Elizabeth was barren, but eventually God changed all of that. Eventually, God gave Zacharias and Elizabeth a son in their old age, and this son would be John. It would be John the, Bap the Baptist. God blessed Zacharias and Elizabeth with John in their advanced age, and God made it very clear to them before John was born that John was going to be a great man. 
John was going to be great and mighty in the sight of the Lord. John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would devote his entire life to the service of God. John is an extraordinary person because he had an extraordinary work and he had an extraordinary birth, but even though he had an extraordinary work, and an extraordinary birth. A third thing the Bible tells us about him is he had a very strange appearance. Oh, yes, he had a very strange appearance. You should have noticed that if you did your Bible reading today in, in Matthew chapter 3. For those of you who've been keeping up with your Bible reading, then hopefully today you read Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4. In Matthew 3 and verse 4, the Bible says that as John did his work preparing the way for the Messiah, he lived in the wilderness and he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt and he ate locusts with wild honey. I want you to try, try to picture, try to picture that in your mind. Try to picture someone who wore camel's, camel's hair with a leather belt and lived in the wilderness and he ate locusts with wild honey. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, even in those times, that was pretty weird. Even in those times, that was very strange. John did not look like the typical Jew and he certainly didn't eat the typical Jewish diet. He wasn't on the typical Jewish diet. John had a very strange appearance. He looked very weird, but even though he looked weird, another thing we need to understand about him is according to the scripture, John was a very powerful preacher. He was a very powerful preacher because he had a very powerful message. Remember, both in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 3, we learn that the message John preached was a message of repentance. He preached a message of repentance. In other words, John told people that they needed to turn away from their sins and turn to the Lord. John told people that they need to have godly sorrow over their sins. John told people that they need to have a change of mind towards sin, which led to a change in their lives. John told people you need to repent. Practically speaking, that means that he told thieves you need to stop stealing and you need to make restitution. He told liars, you need to stop lying. He told fornicators, you need to stop committing fornication. He told hypocrites, you need to stop being pretenders and be genuine followers of God. John preached a message of repentance. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, that message that John preached, that's not an easy message to preach. In fact, the message of repentance may be the most difficult message to preach. I say that because usually people don't like to hear about the need to change their lives. People usually don't like having other people, even preachers, tell them you need to stop doing certain things. This is especially true for most Americans. 
I mean, as Americans, one of the things we celebrate is we celebrate our freedom. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. We don't like people telling us how to live. We don't even want people to tell us who to, who, who to marry and, and have a sexual relationship with. As Americans, we celebrate our freedom. We don't like people telling us what to do. But John, as a preacher, he told people what they needed to do. He told people that they needed to repent and reform their lives. He preached a message of repentance, and it took a lot of courage for him to do that. In fact, that is exactly something Jesus wants us to know about John. When we go into the word of God to Luke, the seventh chapter, you may want to put a Bible marker at Luke 7 because we're going to come back to Luke 7 quite a bit before our lesson is over. But in Luke chapter 7 and in verse number 24, the Bible says this, Luke 7 and verse 24, when the messengers of John had left, he, referring to Jesus, began to speak to the crowds about John. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But, but what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Jesus says, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal places. But what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. I want to suggest that what Jesus says in verses 24 and 25 of that text, that is some that is some very interesting stuff. Jesus says some very interesting things about John. The question though is is what does all of that mean? What does Jesus mean when he describes John in the way that he does in these verses? Well, simply put, brothers and sisters, here in these verses, Jesus. Jesus is describing John's work as a preacher. Jesus is saying to these Jews that when they went out into the wilderness to see John, they knew what they were, they knew what they were getting. They knew what kind of preacher they were going out to hear. They knew exactly what kind of preacher John was. They knew that John was a preacher of the truth. They knew that John had courage. They knew that John had boldness. They knew that John wasn't like Joel Osteen in our time today. He wasn't a soft preacher. He wasn't a yes man. He wasn't somebody who just told the people what they wanted to hear. Instead, he told people what God wanted them to know. He, he, he wasn't a, like a reed that was shaken in the wind. He, he wasn't some man who dressed real nice and lived a life of luxury. No, Jesus said that the most important thing that these people knew about John is John preached the truth. John stood for the truth. John preached the word of God strongly and in the way that God desired. That's the kind of preacher John was. He was a man who preached a message of repentance. In fact, 
That is probably why he was the Elijah to come. He was the Elijah to come. Go back into your Old Testament to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And I want you to notice how Malachi concludes the Old Testament. And God's final message to close the Old Testament before sending his son 400 years later. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5, God closes the Old Testament with these words. He says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that these two verses right here, these verses that, that served as the close of the Old Testament, they were very perplexing verses to many of the Jews during this time. For 400 years, many of the Jews could not understand these verses. They had some wrong ideas about these verses. You see, for many Jews, when when Malachi wrote these words, they thought that he meant that Elijah, that is the literal Elijah, the Elijah who defeated the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, the Elijah who went to heaven in a whirlwind, they thought that that Elijah was literally going to one day come back. They thought that that Elijah was literally going to return before the coming of the Messiah. That was the thinking of most Jews concerning those verses, but obviously they were wrong about that. Contrary to what they may have thought, Elijah was not literally going to return to the earth. The Elijah of the Old Testament was not going to literally prepare the way for the Messiah. He was not going to be literally sent back to the earth by God. Instead, God was going to send somebody who would be like him. God was going to send somebody who would resemble him. God was going to send somebody who would come onto the scene and preach with boldness just like he did. And that would be John. You see, John was not literally Elijah. Instead, he was like Elijah. He resembled Elijah. He preached like Elijah. He carried himself like Elijah. He was bold and zealous in his ministry like Elijah. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse number 14, Jesus says, John himself. It is Elijah who was to come. John is the fulfillment of the words of Malachi. In Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6, he was the prophet sent. And he would be like Elijah, but not only would he be like Elijah, not only would he be a prophet like Elijah, but another thing we learn about John is he was also a baptizer. He was a baptizer. In fact, that is exactly why he is called John the Baptist in the Bible. 
You see, the reason why he is referred to as John the Baptist is not because he was part of some denominational church. It's not because he was a Baptist. Instead, the reason he's called this is because he was a baptizer. He was an immerser. We saw that going back to Mark chapter 1. Remember Mark chapter 1 and verse number 4. Mark 1 and verse 4. John the Baptist appears in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Put that what you find in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3 and in verse number 23, in John 3 and verse 23, the Bible says John also was baptizing in Annan near Salem because there was much water there. And people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. I want you to notice a couple of very important things we learn in those verses. First, I want you to notice how according to what those verses say, we see exactly what Bible baptism is. Do you see it? Notice how according to what the Bible says there, Bible baptism is not sprinkling or pouring water on somebody's head. Bible baptism is not sprinkling. It's not pouring of water. Instead, according to the scripture, Bible baptism is something that requires much water. It requires a lot of water. And why does it require a lot of water? Well, because Bible baptism is immersion. It is a burial. It is when one goes down into the water and they then come up out of the water. That is what Bible baptism is. And that is exactly what John was doing. John was not sprinkling water on people's heads and calling it baptism. John was not pouring water on people's heads. Instead, John was immersing people. He was burying people in much water. He needed a lot of water because he was immersing people in the water. And the reason why he was doing that is because according to Mark 1 and verse 4, he was immersing or baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. He was baptizing people for the remission of sins. And so he was a baptizer. And he was a preacher and he was a prophet but not only was he a prophet, Jesus also tells us that John was more than a prophet. Don't you remember that back in, in Luke chapter 7? Remember in Luke chapter 7 and in verse number 26, John, uh, Jesus said that when the people went out to see John, they weren't just seeing a, a prophet, they were seeing someone who was more than a prophet. How was John more than a prophet? What made him somebody more than a prophet? Well, Jesus gives the answer in the next verse. In verse 27 of Luke 7. Verse 27, this is the one talking about John. About whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Notice how as Jesus quotes from the book of Malachi, 
Malachi 3, Jesus is telling us what made John more than a prophet. The thing that made John more than a prophet was, was the fact that he not only preached to people, he, he not only preached a message of repentance to people, but he also prepared the way for the most important person in human history, and that is Jesus the Messiah. He was a forerunner for Jesus the Messiah. He prepared people's hearts to receive Jesus when he began his ministry. And so because of his work of preparing the way for Jesus and made him someone who was more than a prophet, in fact, part of his preparing people to receive Jesus included him testifying of Jesus. He testified of Jesus. He testified of the identity of Jesus. This is something that we can read about him doing in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 29. In John chapter 1 and verse number 29, the Bible says the next day, he, referring to John the baptizer, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Notice how John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who is the one sent to take away the sins of the world. Here he's referring to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. Verse 30, this is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but saw that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testifies, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remain upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now, when you put these verses with what you also read in Matthew 3, and in the last few verses of Matthew 3, here in these verses, you see exactly why John was perfectly qualified to testify concerning the identity of Jesus. In these verses, we see exactly how John was able to know who Jesus was with absolute certainty. The reason why he could testify of the identity of Jesus was because of what he heard and what he saw after he baptized Jesus. You see, these verses in John 1 are referring to what John saw when he baptized Jesus. When John baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, and he also heard the very voice of God out of heaven say, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. John saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, and he also heard the Father say, this is my son. John was able to testify with 100% certainty concerning the identity of Jesus. But unfortunately, even though he testified of Jesus, as soon as Jesus began his ministry, 
the Bible tells us that John was killed. John was murdered and ironically he was murdered because of his preaching. He was murdered because he preached a message of repentance. He was murdered because he preached on one of the most controversial subjects that a man can preach on. And that's the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We can actually read about that in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. In Mark chapter 6, we see that because John told Herod, he didn't have a right to have his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, the woman that Herod was married to, she got upset about that. She got furious at that message, and she set up or coordinated a situation to have John arrested and imprisoned and eventually beheaded. Eventually, John had his head cut off and served on a platter. He was murdered because he preached the truth about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And it actually reminds me of something similar, in a sense, that happened to me several years ago when I was preaching the gospel in, in Central Florida. Several years ago when I was preaching God's word in, in Florida, I was able to have a Bible study with a lady who was not a Christian. And during one of our studies, we sat across the table and we studied God's standard for marriage. We looked at what Jesus taught about this issue in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. And while we were studying this, I had to show this lady that her current marriage was, was not lawful in the eyes of God. The man she was married to was actually bound to someone else. They were not lawfully married in the eyes of God. And after I, I read the scriptures to her and showed her what the scriptures taught, there was no doubt that she understood what the word of God clearly said. In fact, I can remember like it was yesterday how she responded to that message. She actually got up from the table and she slammed her Bible on the table and she cursed me and she cursed God and she said, why did God even put that in the Bible? She then bolted through the church building doors, got in her car, drove off, and I never saw her again. I can remember that like it was yesterday and I can also remember calling a mentor, Max Dawson, and telling him about what happened. And instead of having pity on me, when I told him about what happened, he brought up John. He said to me, Sean, well, at least what happened to John the Baptist did not happen to you. He said, Sean, John got his head cut off for preaching the truth about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and you still have your head, so, so toughen up. It's not that bad. That's what he said to me, and in a weird way, that kind of encouraged me. I was encouraged to know that what happened to John did not happen to me, but, but John was a preacher who had a lot of courage. He preached the truth of a marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and he was murdered because of that. But this does bring us to now 
probably the most important thing we could say about John tonight, and that is John was somebody who was commended by Jesus. He was commended by Jesus. We find this back in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke the seventh chapter in verse number 28. In Luke 7 and verse number 28, Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. I want you to ponder on that statement for just a moment. Let me ask you something. What do you think of that statement? How would you feel if Jesus said that about you? How would you feel if Jesus said about you that there is no one born of women? That is greater than you. I mean, there Jesus is given a high, an extremely high compliment to John. He is saying that John was a great man. John was a great servant of God. John was someone who was worthy of respect and attention from the people. John was, is someone who was worthy of our imitation today. In fact, I believe that there are at least three critical lessons that, that, that we can learn from John. First, brothers and sisters, one of the lessons I think we can learn from John is number one, John teaches us about humility. He teaches us about the need to always exalt the name of of Jesus. We see this in several passages, passages like John 3 and verse 30, where John says in reference to Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then over in Matthew chapter 3 in verse 11, John says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I really love both of those verses because both of those verses sum up John's life in a nutshell. Both of those verses tell us exactly what John was all about. According to those verses, John was all about exalting Jesus. John was all about putting Jesus on the pedestal where he belonged. John was all about pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah, and not pointing people to himself. John devoted his life to exalting Jesus and not himself. And we need to be like John. Like John, our entire lives need to be about exalting Jesus. Our entire lives need to be about pointing people to Jesus. Our entire lives need to be about telling people that Jesus is what it's all about. He is the Lamb of God. He is the only way to heaven. And they need to put their trust in him and not in men. John teaches us about the need to be humble. But even though John was a humble man, another thing we need to understand about him is he wasn't a perfect man. He, he wasn't a man who was out without flaws. Oh, no, John had a lot of flaws. And I think we can read about those in Luke, the seventh chapter still. Go back to Luke 7, and this time go back up to verse 18. In Luke 7 and verse 18, the Bible says, The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? 
When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At the very time, he, referring to Jesus, cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the, leper, the lepers are cleansed, and the death the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense in me. I want you to notice particularly what these two disciples of John asked Jesus after they were sent by John. John's locked up in prison at this time. And notice how, as we learn a lesson about discouragement from John, notice this question they ask. They ask, are you the expected one? Are you, Jesus, the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? That's a very interesting question. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, oh, yes, that's a very interesting question. And I guess the real question is, what does that mean? Why would these men ask this? Why would John have them ask this question, especially when you consider that this is the same John who says, I know with 100% certainty that Jesus is the Messiah. Why would John have them ask this question? Well, as we try to figure out what's going on here, I think it's important that we remember the context of this, of this verse. You see, here in the context of this verse, we need to keep in mind that when John asked this question, he's suffering right now. He's locked up. He's in prison for preaching the truth. John is in jail at this point, and maybe because things are not going so well for him, maybe he's starting to have some doubts. But maybe he's raising this question because he is frustrated. Maybe because he's, he's, he's locked up and he's isolated from the world, maybe he's frustrated with Jesus and he's becoming impatient, and maybe he's expecting some physical kingdom to be set up where the Jews would be Liberated from the Romans. I mean, that's what a lot of Jews were looking for, right? Maybe because of his situation. God is asking this question sarcastically or out of frustration. It's hard to pinpoint exactly why John is raising this question, but regardless of what answer you have in, re in regards to this, I think we can safely conclude that John is discouraged right now. He's discouraged at this time in his life, and before we turn our nose up at him, let me just ask you, do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever get frustrated when life is not going your way? Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course we all do. We all get discouraged and frustrated at times in our lives as Christians. But regardless of how frustrated and discouraged we may get, we need to always remember what Jesus says in verse number 23. And that is we must never take offense at him. 
We must never take our frustrations out on him, regardless of, of whether or not life is going our way. We need to stick with him. We need to trust him. We need to glorify his name and keep in the forefront of our minds his amazing power. John is discouraged right now. And he teaches us about how at times we'll get discouraged. But then third and finally, I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you how, with how John also teaches us a lesson about greatness. Specifically, he teaches us a lesson about greatness in the eyes of God. In Luke chapter 7 and verse number 28, Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Notice how Jesus says that John was a great man. He was the greatest man born among women at that time. But even though he was a great man, Jesus also says that those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than him. I am greater than John, and you are greater than John. For those of us who are part of the Lord's kingdom, we are all greater than John. We're all greater than John. Someone says, how is that possible? Well, remember, remember John lived in a different dispensation and time that, than, than we live in as Christians. Remember, John lived under the old covenant. John lived under the Old Testament law of Moses, but those of us who are part of the kingdom of God, we are under the new covenant that Jesus established. We are part of the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood, and with that comes some amazing privileges. With that comes some amazing blessings, blessings like having full revelation of God's word. And being able to be born of water in the spirit and being able to be part of the Lord's church and to be in Christ and blessed in Christ and be adopted and to be adopted into God's family. You see, as citizens in the kingdom of God, because we've been baptized, there are privileges that we get to enjoy that John did not get to enjoy. And maybe it is those privileges and blessings that, that we enjoy that make us, in a sense, even greater than him. Those who are released in the kingdom of God are greater than John. But make no mistake about it, my dear friends, John was indeed great. John had a very important work. He pointed people to the Lamb of God. And let me close by suggesting that that same need that people had 2,000 years ago, they still have it today. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word that teaches us so many important things. Thank you for the work of John the baptizer. His testimony that Jesus is the Christ, his message of repentance, his example that he left for us in the scriptures so that we can be pleasing to you. Thank you, Father, for people like John who've dedicated their lives to serving you. Thank you, Father, for 
the time we've been able to study and learn lessons tonight. We pray, Father, that we can apply these lessons and that we can always be humble in your eyes like John was and always point people to your son just like he did. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in his name we pray. Amen.